You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. The Summer in the Psalms, I, for me, it's been really rich. I hope it has been for you as well. Uh, it's been orienting, it's been disorienting, it's been reorienting for my prayer life and for my whole life, I think, in a lot of ways, and orienting us and anchoring us in the kingdom of God. Um, there's been all sorts of reminders that the kingdom has a narrow gate, but we walk through that gate into this expansive, overwhelming, intimate, glorious presence of the Lord, our shepherd. The Psalms give us language for all of that, that whole experience. And they've painted this picture, this beautiful picture of what life with God looks like. Um, so as we prepare to conclude that series, we are finishing the summer in the Psalms today. Uh, let's pray as we open God's word together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for these words that uh, Sam just read for us from your Psalms. These, these songs of praise and thanksgiving and rejoicing. We thank you for the ways that you have shaped us, shepherded us, comforted us, challenged us, disoriented us, and reoriented us in this season together. And now as we come to your word together, may these words of my mouth and the meditations and the thoughts of every one of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's no accident that we are concluding this series with Psalm 150, which is the final psalm. One of the reasons for that is that I love symmetry. Got to be honest. So we started with Psalm 1, and we ended with Psalm Psalm 150. We skipped 139 of them in the middle, but we at least got the bookends right. Um, The much larger reason, though, that we're doing 150 today is that the psalms begin and end where they do for a reason. So we started with Psalm 1 for a reason, because that's the first psalm for a reason, and the last one is the last one for a reason. Um, And I'm always interested in what those sorts of reasons are, why the scriptures are arranged the way they are. So uh, before we dig into the psalm itself, I want to remind us of where we've been on this journey so far. So each one of these psalms has taught us something unique and valuable for our spiritual journeys. So I want to revisit the main ideas from each of the psalms that we have explored. So we started again in Psalm 1, and the main idea was, it was the foundation. It lays the foundation for a righteous path. It calls us to meditate, to make a meal out of Scripture, to really meditate on it, to be planted by streams of water so that we can bear fruit in community in the assembly of the righteous. In Psalm 19, that reminded us that God speaks to us in every imaginable way, for our unimaginable good. And Psalm 13 showed us that God's light of mercy gets into our hearts through the cracks of grief, and it turns our laments into full-throated praise. Psalm 27. Notice we're not going in, we're not going in the order that they are in Scripture. We're going in the order that we taught them this summer. Psalm 27 gave us courage and resilience to trust the Lord, to really trust and to wait on Him. And Psalm 127 offered us rest and recovery for our daily lives of work and care, our fulfilling but weary, sometimes, pilgrim journeys. Psalm 40 
We ask, God, how long? While waiting patiently and living in faithful obedience to the one who does not leave or abandon us. Psalm 86 gave us language for times of disorientation and faithfulness in living, even amid, right in the midst of, grief and wondering and even wandering. Psalm 103 covered us with the comprehensive reality of God's presence from the earth to the heavens, the mind-blowing good news of his forgiveness, which casts our sins farther away from us than we can even imagine, way beyond my seven-foot wingspan. Psalm 23 demonstrated the indescribable and overflowing care and rescue enacted by our good shepherd with a compelling call to full submission to his care. In the last two weeks, we were in Psalm 139, which taught us that no complaint or emotion is out of bounds in our prayer, and that God's loving gaze endures even as he knows us, perhaps even because he knows us more deeply and is more fully present to us than we can imagine. It's quite a journey. And the culmination of all these psalms, the culmination of those stories and the ones that we skipped, the 139 of them that we skipped, if you did, by the way, did anybody do the, the full reading, the devotional where we read all 150 psalms? Any, any hands? I don't have a prize today. Yeah, we got a couple. I'm just, praise the Lord. Um, so you didn't skip 139 of them. So that's awesome. Uh, psalm 150 is a straightforward call to praise the Lord. In fact, the last five psalms, Psalm 146, 7, 8, 9, and Psalm 150, all of them, follow this theme of straightforward calls to praise the Lord. It's a short psalm, only six verses, yet the word praise, or halal in Hebrew, is used 13 times. And that doesn't even include the hallelujahs, which bookmark it at the beginning and the end. So after all these like wide varieties of songs and poems, it appears that what our response should be at the end of everything, no matter what we've been through, no matter what we've seen, praise. We must praise. So let's jump in to verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. I mentioned that there were hallelujahs at the beginning of the end, and you may be wondering, I didn't see a hallelujah at the beginning. Well, you may know more Hebrew than you realize, because praise the Lord is an English translation of the Hebrew word, take a guess, you got it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when, we, when you see praise the Lord in the Old Testament, generally that is a translation of the word hallelujah. So there you know. You, you knew more Hebrew than you realized, perhaps. Um, and every one of these praise the Lords in this passage, every one of these praise gods are in the um, imperative sense, right? They're commands to praise the Lord. But as you read them, do you feel like somebody's like, praise the Lord? It doesn't have the vibe of somebody wagging their finger at you and telling you, you must praise the Lord or else. It's just like an invitation. It's very open. It's like, praise the How could you not, right? After all of this, after all we've been through together, after all we've read, after all these songs of praise, how could we not praise the Lord? It is imperative, but it is so invitational we got to give glory where glory is due. 
And the first verse gives us two important bits of information. First, who is to be receiving the praise? And I really hope it comes as no surprise to anybody that the praise goes to the Lord, God. Yes, that's, that's not a surprising thing. And if you spend a lot of time with me, you might hear me offer a variation on those sorts of praises. Because when I encounter a praiseworthy moment, you might hear me exclaim, look at God. And some of you might say back to me, won't he do it? Because it's just a little, it's a little liturgy of praise that I've incorporated into my daily life. It's another way to praise the Lord. So who was obvious? But then the second piece of this verse, it also tells us where. Where do we praise the Lord? Where do we praise God? And those locations listed are his sanctuary and in his mighty heavens. And once again, we should not be surprised that the Lord would be praised in his sanctuary and in his mighty heavens. Not shocking news that those are the locations listed. Speaking of the sanctuary, the, ta- to the tabernacle, the temple, the beacon, wherever worship takes place, that's where we praise the Lord, right? The commands of praise him in his mighty heavens, though, might conjure some images for some of us. You might think of angels floating on clouds playing harps, perhaps but I I tend to think of it a little differently. Some of you, some of us are really into praising the Lord. It's like kind of one of our favorite things about, about following Jesus. And some of you are also probably familiar with the concept of thin spaces. Have you ever heard this, this, this phrase, thin places, thin spaces? Anybody ever heard it? Yeah, a few people. It might make sense if I explain it to you. It feels like in a thin place or a thin space, it feels like the barrier between heaven and earth is a little thinner in those spaces than other places. Now, usually we have a a sense of a thin space or a thin, thin place because of our experiences in that space, in that place. So we have this idea that someplace like a summer, like a Christian camp, like say Camp Raybird, Allah, is a thin space. Nobody? Woo woo! Camp Raybird people? No? Nothing? Okay, all right, all right. But it could be a back porch, it could be a lake, it could be a prayer room, a particular chair in your house. It could be anywhere. The point is when I hear people talk about thin spaces all the time because when we experience in our own mundane lives a visceral and tangible connection to God, a connection to the heavens, it's powerful, right? We, we make note of those moments. Our call to praise is not confined only to the places we feel the most connected to God, but praise God that so many of you experience places like that, that those places exist for so many people. And I really do pray that this shared space in a former bowling alley is just that space for some of you. All right, verse 2. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. This addresses the why of praise, right? So we got the who, we got the where, and now we have the why. We praise him for his acts of power and for his surpassing greatness. Acts of power. That's about what he does in the world, right? His acts of power are how he acts in the world. Where we see God active in the the world he created. Our evidence that, thank God, he did not just create this thing, spin it like a basketball and walk away right? 
Acts of power can be God liberating his people from slavery in an Exodus journey involving plagues and floods and pillars of smoke and fire. That can be acts of power. Acts of power can be God liberating people in our very community from addiction, healing them from diseases and pain, providing for them in unexplainable ways. God's acts of power have been evident throughout the centuries and are evidence in the here and now. And our question when we see God acting in power is, will we praise him? Will we praise him for it? Will we notice? We have to have our eyes open and acknowledge the act of power first. Because sometimes, even though God's very mighty, sometimes his acts of power slip by us and we just miss it. Will we pay attention? Will we see and will we praise? And the second why of praise, we have his acts of power, is it has to do with his character, his surpassing greatness that is evidenced through his acts of power, right? But it is true and praiseworthy even in the seasons when we look around and don't see a lot of activity. There may be seasons of life where we look around and we don't see God acting in power in the ways, like we just we try to open our eyes and we just can't see it. But the fact that he has this surpassing greatness is true no matter what, right? In every season, God is worthy. His character does not change. We can always praise him. And then, in the next verse, we turn to the how of praise. Verses 3 through 5. How do we praise him? Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Saw one of our people do that yesterday in front of 100,000 people, plus, plus all the people on TV. Um, Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. And I know at least some of y'all visited the Renaissance Fair last week. Yes? Yeah. And I cannot read this description of all these old tiny instruments without picturing something like a Renaissance Fair. Okay? And I am aware that ancient Israel is both a different time period and a different place from the Renaissance, okay? I understand. That is very different. But the point is, I am a 21st century person, and to me it all looks pretty old-timey, okay? Right? So, like, I don't even know if it's pronounced lyre or lyre. I just got to be honest, and I, I refuse to look it up. I'm not 100% sure what a timbrel is, and I'm pretty sure the pipe referred to as some sort of flute and not something that happy hobbits would enjoy after a long battle. I'm pretty sure. But I do know that this is all about music and dancing, right? That's what this, that's what this is. This is the how of this passage. It's all about music. So if you want to know why we sing and play instruments and praise the Lord week after week after week, this psalm and others like it are a really big part of the reason for that. The psalmist has listed here basically the full symphony of instruments available at the time. And though it has caused controversy aplenty over the centuries, it is certainly faithful to the scripture for people of any time to use the instruments available to them to praise the Lord, right? This is such good news for artists, for singers, for creative people, for dancers, for people who want to use their gifts to glorify the Lord. And this psalm is a direct invitation to all those artists to offer up their gifts, their labors to the praise of God. Okay, and finally, our last verse, 
tells us who is to praise the Lord. We already talked about who we are praising, but who should praise the Lord? Verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So the Bible is quite expansive when it talks about who can praise the Lord. This verse doesn't even say, let everyone who has breath praise the Lord. It says, let everything that has breath. The Bible, in other places, speaks of rocks crying out in worship, right? There's no limit on what can praise the Lord. All creation praises. All creation can bring glory to God. And certainly not in the same, like, willful and sentient way that we can. But the Lord will be praised. All creation. At the moment of creation, the Lord formed a human out of the dust of the earth, right? He formed a man out of the dust of the earth. But to bring that person to life, what did he do? He breathed into him. He breathed life into him. And to everyone created since then, our breath, our life, our life breath comes from God. And everything that has breath is to return praise to God for that gift, right? Where does the breath come from? It comes from him. Therefore, anything that has breath should give praise back. And today, I want to give us some time to do just that. So show of hands if you're breathing right now. Okay, so if you're breathing right now, you are invited to participate in what follows, okay? And holding your breath for like the next minute doesn't mean you're not breathing, okay? That just means you took a pause. <laughs> um, Ryan Rader actually planted this idea of Psalm 151 in my brain. Of course, the trick there is that there is no Psalm 151, so you have to write it. And disclaimer, I'm not going to write a psalm today and try to stick it in the Bible and pass it off as God's word somehow, okay? That's a terrible heretical idea. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying that these words are authoritative like the Bible, but we read psalm after psalm, praise after praise. Why can't we be part of the conversation? I think it's good for our formation to be part of that conversation. So I'm going to give you some space to write Psalm 151, but not in a heretical way, okay? You got that, right? You're not saying this is the word of God just because you wrote it. It's not authoritative over anybody else's life, but it may be a really powerful exercise for you today. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.